Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus at Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast informs, educates, and illuminates the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Richardson Robertson III, architect and principal of Robertson Partners. Rick has executed a host of projects in diverse historic revival styles. Most projects are luxury and range from private estate residence and residential building types to master plan towns and urban village centers. The firm's practice has created a sense of place by responding to the site, leveraging specific architectural icons that are timeless in their meaning. The newly built environment will become a cherished part of the heritage of the community. For more information, feel free to visit robertsonpartners.net. That's Robertson partners.net. Hello, Rick. We're honored and excited to have you on The Modern Architect today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I like being here. Oh, it's wonderful. We had, uh, for our audience, we spent, what, almost an hour and a half plus in the green room talking. (laughs) You're, You're in for a real treat, folks. Rick, can you share with us some early inspirations, if you will, if you, as far back as you can go, some maybe either a galvanizing moment or galvanizing moments that you knew that you uh, would like to be an architect? Well, I think one of those rare individuals who always knew what's going to be an architect. I remember when I was four years old, that's what I wanted to be four. And I would build little Frank Lloyd Wright stick houses out in the backyard on sand piles and make little cities. And somehow they get destroyed every night, so I had to rebuild it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> How would it get destroyed? Do you remember? They just, I, I think never had kids, maybe. I don't know. Really? I, don't, I have no clue how. It was, they weren't earthquakes. Okay. <laughs> That's right. And you grew up in Texas. Texas. Okay. Yeah. yeah there definitely no earthquakes. In Dallas, yeah. Yeah. So four years old. Yeah. What was the feeling, if you can recall, of creating those uh, those worlds? Wow. These are questions. Uh, I've never had anybody ever ask these questions before. Okay. <laughs> so I think that it was something I always wanted to do. I can't imagine doing anything else. I think I'll do it the day I die. I can't imagine it retiring. This is like too much fun. Too. And then I think other points in my life were um, my grandmother, my mother's mother, the one Charlotte's like, <laughs> and, uh, and she knows, Charlotte knows her. We would spend rainy afternoons at times playing gin rummy, and, but she would teach me about architecture and like how house plans supposed to be done. And you put plant, 
you don't plant on the south side, not the north side, because grass won't grow in the shadow on the north side. And, you know, the kitchen needs to be close to the garage and, you know, things like that that made it practical. And then she would learn about architects, Frank Lloyd Wright and Mies van der Rohe. She'd teach me about these things. I, it was just by playing cards. She'd just talk about it. And I think when you learn it that young, it's like a first language, not a second language. Like, you always speak English. It's like a first language. And when you have it as a first language, it becomes innate. I think that's kind of what it's like because I learned it so young. Yeah, that's interesting that you said it becomes innate because usually innate means <clears throat> it becomes after. But it oh, becomes, is that what? Then I didn't mean it that way. It becomes no, after. No, no. I like that, though. So you can learn kind of a, there's a, a certain wisdom. It's, it shows like your grandmother was sharing with you. Maybe. A, a wisdom. I remember I remember being in school. I'm at the University of Texas master's degree there in Austin. Hook them. Yes. <laughs> and that was a good place for me to be, too. And uh, the other students, they were, it was, I don't think it was innate. They adopted this, and this is what they wanted to do as a profession. I didn't see it as a profession. I mean, I saw it as a job. Sure. But I saw it as like, wow, I can make money at this. I don't think they were thinking the same way. I mean, like, this is too much fun. I just thought it was just easy. Oh, easy even. And 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 the it funny thing, easy. and the funny thing about school being in school, architect architecture students are notorious for spending the whole last week, night and day, literally twenty four hours a day. They're finishing up their oh. their projects, and I would finish my project about a week early, and then because I worked on it during the, I didn't wait to the last minute, and then I'd go get a tan, get my shirt <laughs> starched, get my shoes polished, get a haircut. And I didn't. I walked in there like paced together, and that's it was all just show. You had to be show. It was all, like if you made a good show, it was good. Yeah, I was good at what I did too. But I mean, I think that when I learned it was all show is when you really had to be good if you're going to sell something good, because you can sell stuff that's not good. It's it can be all show and sell bad stuff. So then the only person that it's really important to would be me, whether it's good or not. Yeah. So how do you feel about this? The importance of presence. The importance of, of being present. And it sounds like you, when you talked about being, have your shirts starched, your shoes polished, your hair cut, you're starting with yourself before you're even getting to a building or drawing. You're starting with yourself. Oh, that's, that's good in any profession, not just architecture. Okay. Share what, share. If you why. look pasted together, they're okay. always, they'll always thought that you can be at a party and look pasted together, but people go to that person. It's always that way. It's nobody says it shouldn't be that way, but it's the reality. Okay. <laughs> you know, here's where I'm getting with it is it that in your work, it's reflect, you start like within your own self. Mm-hmm. Not just, obviously, you have clients and people you work with. And do you have to get in and kind of, for lack of a better word, you have to kind of get into them too? Yeah, you do. When I talk to people, you get a feeling of what they like. And I usually ask lots of questions. I, say, I usually get yes, it's these answers. When I get a no, I might ask questions around until I get a yes. So I misunderstood that. And when I get all yeses, then I feel like I've got, I know the person and my job is really to produce something that they want. It's though I am their hand with a pencil in it and they're the one designing it. Though they don't really design it, I'm interpreting what they want and I put it together. And, and even if I have houses that might be like neoclassical houses, so I've done a lot of them, they're all individually different. They all have different spirits and moods. It's, it's a reflection of that particular client. And they're all completely different. And uh, even though they're coming from maybe that same derivative, it's okay. not the only thing I do, but sure. I mean, I'm using that as an example. That's a great analogy. So you're becoming their pen. Yes. The... I think it's very important because that's what they've hired you for. They have a vision. Then there are other aspects too that you do that 
I want to fit the community because you see where they've picked the builder house. They like that community. And if they like it, you need to respect it. And you do something that's in spirit of that community. Sometimes the spirit of that community is a myth. It's not a reality, but the myth is always in their head. Like if you use Los Angeles for one thing, you use Beverly Hills, the reality of Beverly Hills, it's not the myth of Beverly Hills. They're, they're completely different. Share with us, please. Well, the myth of Beverly Hills is, there's several different ones. Or if you use Bel Air as a contrast, I'd say like the Beverly Hillbillies house, it's kind of a myth of what people around the world think Beverly Hills is, even if it's not in Beverly Hills. Sure. And then the reality is, so there are a lot of modern houses that don't fit it. They don't fit in scale or scope or materials or look or how they how they present to the street. And you see more of that. And whether they're, they're, they're not necessarily bad houses, they just don't fit. And that's not part of the myth of Beverly Hills. I, I would say that if you took just um, like a photograph of what you think commercial Beverly Hills looks like, the buildings are generally neoclassical, but there are smaller, there are small scales. So there are human scaled and you might have what I'd call boxed poodle bushes out front with yellow awnings on the front. Well, that's very Beverly Hills. But you don't see that very much. You might see that at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, but you don't see that look very much. But I think when people think Beverly Hills around the world, that's what they think it is. Yeah. So how do you shift or help pivot that myth into here's how it really is and here's uh, you know how, how it can be done? I build the myth. You build the myth. Oh, they love it. Oh, you build the myth. Yes. And so the myth becomes the reality. Yes. With pleasure. Yes. And it's, you know, your work, as I shared with you in the, what we call it, our green room, is timeless. It's timeless is it, because it fits the neighborhood. It becomes a legacy to the neighborhood or an icon for that neighborhood. And it fits it. It fits what people think it is who live there and who don't live there. That's what they think it is. And it's that easy. It's not anything more complicated than that. I like that. But, you know, I have a saying that sometimes to make things easy <clears> takes <throat> a lot of work. I could, I suppose. <laughs> I love it. I suppose. Even I suppose. That's wonderful. Now, no, sure. when you have the myth, it's, it, you just draw it. Yeah. You know what? Just, just uh, several weeks ago, I don't know who quoted this, if it's <laughs> even a quote or just an observation, but they said, you know, the mind discerned from reality or imagination. Oh yeah. And that's particularly true in Los Angeles. <laughs> Share with us how, how so in your oh, I knew I was going, I was thinking about can of worms there wasn't. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you definitely yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, a city, Los Angeles is truly a city that's built on myth. And Los Angeles, and I'm not particularly talking about just Los Angeles, but Los Angeles of world cities is, I think, the only world city that has a utopian vision and a dystopian vision. Usually world cities have either one or the other, not both. Okay. Like Paris has only a utopian vision. London has only a utopian vision. San Francisco has only a open vision. But Los Angeles has a utopian vision, which would be the myth, which I was talking about. It also has a dystopian vision of freeways and humane, you know, where they, they're not beautiful and the smog and the traffic, which is all part of the urban fabric of the city, how buildings don't fit together, which is also part, part of the Los Angeles is the first city in the history of the world. Not that I'm mm -hmm. doing that, but it's the first city in the history of the world that didn't have a majority population. Los Angeles has the second most people of every single country in the world, other than their major city, the biggest city in that country, other than Jews, which is mostly New York, and, and mostly Eastern European, which is also in New York. Other, all the other nations, their second biggest population is Los Angeles. And then you do a mixture of all of that, it comes up with something quite different. Oh, yeah. 
So how have you adjusted with it? Or have you just stayed the course with the, the neoclassical? And Well, I don't do just neoclassical sure. because sure, the myth this. isn't necessarily neoclassical. Okay. But uh, the myth can be more recent house we did was, I, I call it old Hollywood, but huh. but uh, it's in Hollywood Hills and, okay. and uh, um, it's on the market right now. I'm not going to say go buy it. Yeah. But it was done as a spec house, which I thought, I thought it'd be an interesting project to do. So we, we did that project and I thought we'd be, it was an interesting project to do. It was something different I'd done before. It was something I wanted to do. Um, I think that neoclassical, if you did neoclassical, we have a, another project that will be going in downtown Los Angeles and it's neoclassical. But neoclassical is different around the world. When you see neoclassical in Paris, it's different than what you see in Rome. It's different than you see in London. It's different than you see in New York. And it's even different in Los Angeles. And a lot of it has to do with materials. Some of it has to do with it's furnished. A lot of it has oriented the sun. And in the one in Los Angeles, it's going to be car-oriented because it has a big motor court in front, which would never happen, which makes it completely unique to the world. You wouldn't think something that simple. It's not, they're not gimmicks. It's just reflecting that it's a car-centric city. And uh, in contrast, that you would not enter the, you know, the Paris Opera House with a courtyard in front because yeah. the horses were there. They went to the side door, and that's where you got out, not the front door. Oh, you know why? They don't tell you the side doors, horses. So, but <laughs> um, but um, but you don't have a problem with a car. Oh, this is you know, share with us your book, New Beaux Arts. Yeah, that was done. You don't have to say the year because here's why I say you don't have to say the year because. If this, if your book, our audience obviously can't see it, but if your book came out 50 years ago or it's published 50 years from today, there's still relevancy with it. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I use it, the words I use. I say, is the building going to be relevant? Oh, really? Okay. Is yeah, the building still relevant? Relevance. Will the building be relevant 100 years from now? I want it to be relevant. Yeah. Not necessarily the same use or anything, but they're appreciating they're relevant. They have relevancy. Yeah. There's just a connection to the... Uh, I can't believe Beginning. you use all the same words I've used. No, I know. I mean, I've looked at you, but it just happens there. So your book, okay, how did you put it out and formulate it? And, well, the book was yeah. done in 2007, right after Black Tuesday happened, which the stock okay. market went under. And it was a big dent in my career. All, all the clients kind of, they didn't get funded. We had a lot of projects, but I didn't get funded. They didn't go forward. The economy just went the ditch, you know, for still coming out of it, sort of. We're coming out of it now, but... And so I had time on my hands and I always wanted to do a book. So I just took the computer home and laptop and started typing. I had topics I wanted to talk about. And, and so I'd type up these topics and then interject. I had lots of photographs I'd taken myself, done professionally. Do you really? Well, you take your own photographs? Those were my photographs. Those are not professional, please. So, uh, and no, the, I'm not <laughs> BSing you. I think I can say that on the air. I'm looking as we speak. These are your photographs? Well, those are computer-driven. But, but That's my photograph, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. I'll get and, and in fact, we talk about, about that one photograph you went to. See, this is a Beverly Hills. This feels like Beverly Hills. Bushes. Okay. Yeah. In contrast, you see maybe somewhere else. Yeah, for our audience, feel free to go to uh, robertsonpartners.net. That's robertsonpartners.net, so you can... Oh, I'm sorry. Insight. I guess they can't see the pictures. Yeah. No, well, no just yeah. keep describing the theater of the mind, remember? Oh, okay. Where's and then the um, the mind here? Well, I forgot where I was going with that one you picked, but I can't remember where it was. Okay. We'll go back. We'll probably do something else. Yeah, we were talking about the myth of... Uh, well, every uh, yeah. most solar communities have a myth. I mean, the myth would be if you were like, um, we've done projects in Westchester County, and which is north of New York. And there's a myth that is, you could do a new classical house there. It'd be different than what you do in Bel Air. They wouldn't look the same. And we're doing one there now. It's really a, a big house, 145 acres, which is huge. It's 35 minutes from Midtown Manhattan, Grand Central Station. 
And it's really quite, quite, quite outrageous. And the client, we're doing, we're doing a neoclassical house, but you want tied to New York City. I mean, Westchester County is part of metropolitan New York, but you want tied to New York City, Manhattan, the city. Even though that's part of what Westchester is about on those type of those huge estates, and uh, it's in it's in the Hudson River Valley, and there's a Hudson River Valley. There's a look for that. This is one of the looks, and to really make it look like New York, we're using Indiana limestone. Which, by the way, Indiana limestone in Southern California looks like they're anemic. It just does not work. It does not work. It does not work. And I found that kind of interesting. And 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 in fact, in part different parts of LA, you have to use different limestones to make it work. Because of the vegetation, LA, the vegetation is so different in different parts of the city, and uh, so you have to use different limestone materials to make it to make them look good in response to that, and uh, that's a whole different topic. So we're doing out of any. It took me a while to figure that out. That, that when I came outsided on that, the inner limestone is what pulled it all into focus. Yeah. And some of my projects, you're going to think I'm crazy. I dream some of my projects will even happen. Go for it. One of one of them I had in Texas, and it's client. <laughs> The client, the wife was not on board to do a house, but the husband wanted a new house. And they bought this fancy piece of property there on, on Beverly Drive. And I remember when I first met them, I had not met the wife yet. And I arrived at their front door and she answered the front door and she was kind of looked at me kind of stern. And she backed out in the middle of the back door and threw out her right arm, which was facing her living room. Now that I know they said, you can't do better than this. I'm not moving. That's the first thing she said to me. Not hello, not anything else. <sighs> That's the first thing she said to me. If you can't do better than this, I'm not moving. I went to her and looked at it. It was magnificent. I thought, oh my God, this is my competition. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> and then they You took, were that welcoming of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I thought, okay. oh my God, this is going to be a good house. That's what I thought. This is going to be a good yeah. house. And I had trained the house already, but I knew what was going to happen. I knew what the house looked like. And they took me to lunch which is Dallas Country Club, which is across the street from their house with the be, And we're in the parking lot. And I started describing, I didn't tell her I had a dream because, you know, that's too LA, I suppose. <laughs> and they're from Texas, you know. And I just was not going to say this. <laughs> and we were walking and I said, well, this is what I would do. Da, 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 da. She said, well, would you rather do this? Do you think this would be better or this better? And I already knew what I dreamed. I said, well, this would be better. Saying, I knew what I dreamed. And then she said, would you do this or this? I said, this is what I'd do. And she looked at me, who told you all that? Who told you to say all that? And I thought, uh, well, actually, I've had a dream. You let it out? Yes. Okay. I said, I know how this house is furnished. I know what color the windows are. What color are they? That's the color I want to do them, she said. They were like, um, like a teal blue, which is very unusual. How'd you know to do that? I said, it was in the dream. Well, anyway, I got the job in the house. Built, it was built exactly like the dream was. That's what went up. I think so. I don't know. All my projects are like that. You conk. That's awesome. So you took the ethereal it's, to make it real. Oh, I think it was just given to me by spiritually. Yes. By God or whatever. Let's talk a little, don't talk a little bit. Talk as much as you want about that spiritualness and how important it is in not just great architecture, but obviously great living. But share with us. Oh, no, you know, spiritualness. And the, the house does have a soul and the spirit. I think, uh, and not just houses. It does. They do. Every they should. They have. should. They should. And when they do, when you, when you produce a, for it, when you produce, yeah, it. when your project, whether it's a hotel, apartment building, whatever, it has a soul and a spirit, people respond to that. There's a visceral reaction to it. If you don't move their heart, you failed. And that's what, that's what you need to do. Say that again, please. If you don't move their heart, you failed. If you don't get a yeah. reaction, you fail. And I mean a good one. I mean, you can't have, I mean a, neg a, you can't have a negative reaction. Yeah. And I think that's very important. 
Yes, it is. And we'll go back to one that you did that I told you about before we started. Let's go to break real quick and we'll touch on that. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The Stanford Archive of Recorded Sound is a wonderful resource for those interested in classical music and jazz. The archive contains thousands of historical recordings and numerous collections of printed materials. It's located in the Braun Music Center on the Stanford campus. To learn how you can take advantage of all of the archive and what it offers, visit it on the web at lib.stanford.edu forward slash ARS. We're talking today with Rick Robertson, the third architect and principal of Robertson Partners in Los Angeles, California. For more information, feel free to visit robertsonpartners.net. That's robertsonpartners.net. I had to get that Los Angeles. I love that, <laughs> the way I said. There was a uh, photo of your work in uh, your home, in uh, your home, but uh, you did for uh, clients in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in I think it's Southern Accent Magazine, or maybe yes. Southern Magazine. Okay. And it literally, there was a, it was for a family. It literally doubled me over, almost in tears, because the pic, mm-hmm. not, not just the picture or the, the, the photograph, but the children and how they felt in the play at the front. I think it was at the front entrance. Yes, yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. the front entrance. You talked about it has to have a spirit and a soul. I, I still sense that even though they may have moved on, obviously they got older in their lives and moved on with it, that they still have that connection in their, in their soul because of their house and that place. Yeah, the children do. Yes, I mean, probably everyone, but in particular the children because they were the focus of the, the photograph. Well, a funny side story about that house. Oh, sure. They hired me from the one I was speaking about earlier where the, the wife said she wouldn't move unless I did better than <laughs> yeah. this. Well, it was that house that got me the project in Tulsa. No, really? And part of the inspiration of that house in Dallas was the Philbrook Museum in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is owned by Wade Phillips. He was the Phillips Petroleum people. They moved to Bel Air later, as it seems where people move. And, uh, and they built a big house there, which I've never seen because it's, it's long gone. But and it was inspiration for him. And then I thought, kind of a trick of God. What he did is when they came, they flew down to Dallas to meet with me and to see that house in particular. But the piece of property they bought was directly across the street from the that museum I was speaking about in Tulsa, which I thought, oh my God, am I have to pull another yeah. rabbit out of, the, out of the hat? And so that that's kind of where that came from. And people see that house somewhat of an extension to that museum. It was across the street. That's been mentioned. Yes. It was it was an interesting project. They owned a newspaper. He was a son in, of, who owned the newspaper there in the Tulsa world. And all that's kind of changed too, I think, because of how newsprint's going now. And so they were kind of like the old guard movers, shakers of Tulsa. And it was good in there. Their father was also building houses exactly the same time, and he'd hired a New York architect. So I thought this is kind of good fun competition, <laughs> <laughs> which I liked. Yeah. So I'm competitive. Yeah. So where did that come from? The I mean, competitiveness. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. All my arrogance, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the inspiration now. Yeah. Inspiration is that something you seek out, or it comes to you? It comes to me. Okay. If I don't get the inspiration, I can make it come through, but it's really hard. Yeah. I've done a few projects where they're really hard because I didn't ever have the inspiration, but they'll look good in the end. I'm not embarrassed by the projects. Okay. But the ones where you're inspired is... Sometimes. That one I didn't have a dream about, but I was inspired by it. 
Yeah. I'll touch on something that I don't know if has ever been touched on on, on radio <laughs> or TV anywhere. As you said, with the, I love the humor with the arrogance part of it. But isn't there, is there not a difference between arrogance and certainty? Oh, I suppose. And what we were speaking about before we were online, that's something I would not have said to somebody writing an article. So they just say, well, he's arrogant because he said he was. And they'll write it. And it, well, that is what I said. Yes. But you, know? you hear at least there's clarification if you hear it all. Unless someone goes, that's it. Turn it off. I don't think many yeah. people think I'm arrogant. I might be wrong. <laughs> but I think I, be I might be right. But I don't think they think I am. No. Oh, well, when you mention the spirit part of it, that you see, you're seeing what's in your mind's eye. Yes. And how often does that, are you inspired just by, it could be just going to, you know, getting some groceries or something. Does, any, does it strike you at any moment, any time? No, you have to be kind of in a... Open sense? Well, I didn't, I don't meditate, but I, I, after people describe meditation, I'd be in that state of mind. I didn't know if that's what was happening. So can your actual work be a, a meditation in itself? No. Not ever? Maybe. I never pursued, they just showed up. Okay. I didn't pursue the visions. They just showed up. I think they were given to me. Another one, another one I thought was kind of interesting, this the big house in Bel Air that, that I did um, called Fleur de Lise. Yes. And uh, yes. I had dreamed that house two years before I got the job. And I had no clue where it was. And I, I was interviewed to do House Across the Street from where this house was ultimately going to go. And when I was on that property across the street, I could look across the next hill across the street and I realized from my dream, that's where that house would eventually go. I don't even know. It wasn't even bought then. I just realized that's where it was. And I remember when the clients interviewed me for that, David Saperstein, his wife, Suzanne, they wouldn't divulge where the site was because they were still assembling all the properties. And they had interviewed like 12 architects. And I was the last one they interviewed. And I kind of forced myself in there. Did you really? It yeah. wasn't? No, they didn't know who it was. I actually met them because of some framers said these people are going to build a big house and why don't you go send them something? And they were traveling all over Europe, so I'd send them something. Then it was that something. random? Yeah, yeah. And they interviewed me when I got back, and, and then they, they wouldn't tell me where the property was, but I was hired, and I didn't even know where the property was yet. When they divulged where the property was, oh, I know what the house is. This is easy. <sighs> it was like a shock. To them, of course. No, to me. Why? Because it became true. Yeah, haven't you had a pattern? You've, it sounds like you, yeah, but it's still it's always still a surprise. Oh, that's great! So even though you've had the experience prior, and it could be even just your life. How about even your life? You know, another one I had was a house in Connecticut, and on the Long Island Sound, on a promontory, going out in the promontory in Connecticut, and there was a big house that was going to be torn down, and I hadn't seen the property yet. And the client said they wanted such and such and such and such. I hadn't been hard yet, and I told them that. I actually told them that I had dreamed a house for that site, but I said, I don't understand because the house orients completely differently than what the existing house is oriented at. And they, that existing house must face the view, which was built like in 1910. They said, oh, well, the way you've oriented the house broad faced the Manhattan skyline, which didn't exist in 1910. And that's why that house has faced a different direction. That was a shock to me too. Or the, I dreamed it. And I didn't turn around to see what the view was. I just knew the house was facing the wrong direction. Yeah. And the dream, I've gotten to recommend the dreams too. Yeah, it seems like sometimes your dreams happen when you're, your eyes are wide open. Maybe these can be. I mean, it can be. Yeah. What's your take on that vision? Because I, my opinion and experience is, uh, especially with this the show, uh, The Modern Architect, is that when someone is doing what basically tickled them as a child, 
if they do that as a profession, mm-hmm. they're very fulfilled. Yes. And if they don't, they're not fulfilled. I can't imagine doing anything else. You're right. Yeah. So I don't have any proof, of that, but it's just, I noticed that there's I'm not a, good at anything else. I mean, I could be, but I'd be forced. Yeah. So your answer is, so there's a, okay, here's another one. <clears throat> You're rather fearless in your work. Maybe you got to pay the bills. Yeah, but there's a fear. When, when there's more money flowing, I'm more fearless. Because you can be a, you could be adjust to the clients just to go ahead and, and work for them and just get the work. But it, it doesn't sound like that's what you do. You're like, no, I want in some ways. <gasps> no, they're on board. They are. Yeah. I think people are afraid I'm going to talk them into something, but they never, I've never had a client ever said I've talked them into something that they didn't like. Yeah. I can't think of one time that happened. So you're getting into that window of their mind. Yes. And fitting where it is. Okay. Because if you have one client and you do a project on the East Coast with the same client and another project on the East Coast, it won't be the same house. Wow. That's spiritual again. It's very um, monk-like. <laughs> well, I don't know if monk-like. <laughs> no, okay. really. I've been accused of the, not accused, but I've told before that the architecture, there's a spiritualness to it. And especially when you talk about that pla- the sense of place and the relevancy, the relevance and timelessness, there's just like a light. And that's another thing I'll do. We're going to head up to a break here, but let's talk about like your urban work, the work you've done in urban cities. and, and At this like, moment? Yeah. Or even in the past, because I've seen them <clears> and you could create a city that's from nothing. And these cities are like destinations. Well, the cities, well, they're, I wouldn't call them cities. They were towns. Oh, look at that. You put a human element to it. Well, they really are towns that yeah. we call a city. Yeah. And then uh, one was Las Lomas and uh, Dan, Dan Palmer, he's a developer. And the economy killed that project. That particular one, we responded to, uh, the topography is beautiful. It's in the mountains north of the San Fernando Valley, looking over San Fernando Valley, which is actually a pretty view. Yeah, it's beautiful. City-like view and mountainous, and the, and the Angeles Forest comes up next to it. I mean, it's idyllic. You don't get that in many cities. So we responded to, initially what he had in mind was doing apartment complexes there for 5,500 homes, 5,500 apartments. And so let's just make a town out of it, make a community out of it where people want to go there. And at that time, the mass transit was rapidly rapidly uh, expanding and we put a mass transit station in there. So it became transit oriented. It went on the cover of ULI, the Urban League magazine. It went on to UL, ULI magazine and uh, on the cover which they had never done one that was then proposed on our, our cover before. I mean, it was a big layout, the centerfold for the magazine that month. And that was supposed to make it sexy. <laughs> so, and then, and so we responded to the utopian vision of Los Angeles, the history. And it's more, it's more than just a spirit. It's also the heritage and the legacy and the styles and the culture and topography and the weather and the colors, the sun. I mean, what you'd build in north of the valley would not what you'd build in Malibu because uh-huh. in, in north of the valley where it could be 100 degrees, we had covered open air loges, which were shady. So it's cool in the shade because it's dry air and, and you'd feel cool. If you did that in Malibu, you'd freeze to death. <laughs> All those factors. I love this. You really... Tapping into the essence of a community as much as you can. I try to. I try to. I like these I tries and I hope to and I think so. And yet they're, you're saying them with a, a humbleness, but in actuality, it's really true. Well, it's really easy when the place has a myth. You know, got, and, and the myth is really, I think, because you're a native California, I think you're lost on the California myth. Lost on it. Yeah, I don't think you comprehend it the way people not from California understand California. Oh, really? Yeah. 
So you're having to, you're having to read into that. That goes into where since we're we're not even this is a whole different subject, but it's relevant. Is uh, you remember the power of myth with Joseph Campbell? You ever met, hear hear those? Yeah, I know it. Yes. Okay, so if you just go on that word, power of myth, mm-hmm. there is power in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of a publicity too. <laughs> yeah, it is publicity. So why not live that myth? Can you live? Yes. Oh, yes. You can. Why not? It's so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. So living that myth and keep building that myth. Yes. In in essence, that maybe that is reality. Oh, no. The show's taking a turn. (laughs) uh, No, no. It's very important because when these projects were going before Black Tuesday happened, I was in New York about half time. Yeah, but I claimed I claimed I was from California, even though when, I I, when people I speak, they say, "Well, part of California, Southern," you know, and then uh, and then uh, and uh, particularly in New York, where they could really hear the accent. When I had rented a high-rise apartment out here, and I had my office put together of the play, I had a little decorating team. I said, "I, I want it to feel like when you walk in there, you know you're in Los Angeles," because when New York have time up, because because. Compare and contrast also make life interesting too. And and you, everything is a compare and contrast, which makes it stronger. If you like, when you're in your car, just a real simple thing, and you have your radio playing real loud, and it doesn't seem too loud, when you, but when you turn off the engine, you get, you get step in the car the next day, it blows, blows you out the back of the car when you <laughs> yeah, turn it on. Yeah. That's the compare and contrast when it's silenced too loud. And that's just some sound. You can also do that in color, you can, which amplifies the colors. You can do that in spaces from, from small space to big space. And, and, make, and when you do that, it makes a big space grand rather than just big. And it makes a small space it makes small space cozy rather than just small if you compare it to a big space. And th- those compare and contrasts are very important in design and architecture and, and urban planning, houses, whatever you do in every type. And that's what people relate to. There are just so many. A lot of that would have come from, oh, I can't remember her name. She was a big inspiration for me. Now I can't think of her name. That's awful. <laughs> oh, well. I can't, no, I'll, no. I'll think of it later. I'll, it'll come to me later. Okay. On that subject of names, I have a firm belief that architecture, design, and buildings, and they do have a soul. Every one of them, even one that looks poorly done has a soul, and they wish they could be better. Many particular public buildings, definitely private, but public in particular, do not have the architects recognized who or builders who designed or built the building. And I liken it to imagine a book without the author mm-hmm. or a great song or great music but we don't know who arranged it, wrote it, sung it, or played it. Yeah, it happens. It happens to me. Okay, well, yeah, it happens. It happens quite a bit. So, no, you're in books, and they, they show your whole house and everything about it. it's about the house, and they don't mention the architect. Well, even in uh, publications where there's projects approved, you know, mm-hmm. could be I've seen them in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and they'll talk about everyone around in and around the projects that's approved but they won't even they won't mention who's going who designed it nor who's going to build it but they definitely don't spring up so what's your what's your thought on uh, having buildings especially public and why not private where there's a recognition of who designed it well i think is that, it, is that an ego i don't think it's an ego move at all because if if you liken it to an author who we all know authors or we don't know all the authors but when a book is written there is an author who helped publish or write the book and a movie, mm-hmm. you know, who wrote it or played in the movie. And be like, it'd be again, you, we got another one, like an actor. Imagine a great actor and like, who's, I don't know who did it, but the, the guy was great. 
Really? I think that um, the buildings are worthy of the architect being known. I think people actually know who the architect is, whether his name's emblazoned on the building or not. It doesn't mean to be emblazoned, but, you know, a placard. A, 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 well, I meant emblazoned. Okay, emblazoned. That size. Nice word. Six inches long. That's another good word, emblazoned. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to be sorry for That's a great one. So wh- what's your thought on that? Again, I might be reaching. You might think, oh, no, nah, nobody needs that. It's an opinion. There's no right or wrong Well, answer, you know, what's kind but- of interesting is some of my buildings... One of them was really done as a decorative arts museum, and for that reason, it's purposely made to look like it's of that period. And I think some people actually think it's old and think I'm already dead. <laughs> and at that time, they were shocked to say, oh, you're only in your 30s. <laughs> and it was in the Super Bowl commercial. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, 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 she said that. Yeah. I think people who know who did that building, even though my name's not on it. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm more than starting. I'm in the throes of, of a movement to have that occur. Not just on a public. Oh, I'll go along with it then. Thank you. Yeah. And and private as well. <laughs> even even private. So they have to suffer the consequences. Yeah. The architect. Yeah. Well, you know, what does that do if you Oh, I don't hire that guy. Look at this house. If if you're going to know that your name is going to be on something, it, that does help provide inspiration. Oh, I ha- I've ha- I've done that. I've had some clients that well, yeah, I wasn't hired. Okay. I'm mean, take it back. They're potential clients. And I and and they said we want this way, this way, this way, this way. And I said, well, I'm talking about my legacy, and and that's if I do something like that, that's going to represent me. Yeah, but this is where we're going to live. I said, but yes, but it's going to be my legacy longer. You're going to live. What's the response? I don't get hired. Really? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford ninety point one FM. Comprehensive information on Bay Area classical music concerts can be found at the San Francisco Classical Voice website sfcv.org for daily weekly or monthly information on classical music concerts throughout the bay area simply visit sfcv.org we're talking today with rick robertson the third architect and principal of robertson partners in los angeles california for more information feel free to visit robertsonpartners.net that's robertsonpartners.net Rick, share with us the, the uh, there's been a number, several commercials I've seen with your work, and the one in particular was Super Bowl. Oh, that's a while back now, too. No, no but it's Super Bowl. Everyone would, while back, Super Bowl, mm-hmm. next year, Super Bowl, it's a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's It's a big deal. How did that happen? Did they let you know? Did they do it? Or what? How, how does that? I didn't even see it during the Super Bowl. I found out after and I watched it online. Oh, are you kidding? I didn't know. I didn't know the house had been in a lot of movies, too. I didn't know it until after. And funny, one of the, one of the movies, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. Uh, I was flying to France from L.A. And the movie, it was called uh, 2015, 2012. That's the name of the movie. And so I was watching the movie and the house was in it. It was one of the major, no. it was one of the major things in it. I didn't even know it was in the movie. <laughs> and I was in the business class. And so business class on Air France, it's a party. It's like a party. And oh. and I think a soccer team was in there or something. It's like everybody was a party. It was like it was the most fun fight I think I've ever had from LA to Paris. And so when I said that, they all were watching the movie and every time an earthquake happened, it seemed like the plane went, Shh. Oh, it, so it was perfect. It, it had, it had, I don't know what was going on. It was like the strangest thing. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is one of those moments. I, I just like, it's kind of one of those moments. Oh, did they cheer you and say, yes, that's your thought? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. See, that's what I it was mean. Like camaraderie there thing. A, a it, it, was, it was like everybody was like young and making it. Maybe you know that's kind of what it was. Okay. And I think I, I think it's that same flight that I met 
Glenn Keenan, when I, I'm not, he was on the flight when I met him in France. The the one I did the house for the big house for the one from Disney that you mentioned oh, yeah, before. Yeah, talk about that, please. Again, again, I about all these. And then when I was there, he's when he did all the animation for like Little Mermaid and and Tarzan. He was doing Tarzan at that moment when I was there, and then they were going to move back to L.A. from Paris, and so they were looking for architects, and they'd called my office. Because they're interviewed architects. When my office said I was out of town, they said, Where? And it happened that I was staying virtually next door to them. So I, I went over there for breakfast. And I had breakfast, <laughs> lunch, and dinner with them. Oh. And uh, I got the job. <laughs> so, uh, and and um, it was a very interesting project because they were interesting. They were interesting clients to have. And it was up at Lake Arrowhead. And, and Lake Arrowhead has a myth as well. I know you don't know. That's Southern nope. California yeah. Ski Resort, old-time ski resort. Okay. And they had four acres sitting on the lake. And we did a kind of a rubble stone French chateau. They went kind of went to French chateau. They did a rubble rock. And we were, it was drought that time. So I said, we're going to pick all the rock out the bottom of the lake down there. We can't do that. He's so, so by the rule. We can't do that because I don't own that land. Oh, my God. Like they're going to arrest you or something. <laughs> and, and, uh, dig it out. You don't want the stone down there anyway. You just want sand there when you get in the water. So we, I, we got all that. And I put the big rocks here, the middle rocks here, small rocks here. And the big rocks from the bottom of the house, middle, middle rocks from the middle of the house, and the little rocks from the top. So kind of like candle wax came down. Like, like candle wax. I love that And it was a very rustic. Like French, candle wax. Yeah, like a very rustic French chateau. And it was on this, oh, it was a very romantic house. And it still is. And one of the big treats is when I went out there to stay with them before Tangle, the, the biggest money movie Disney's had. I don't know if they've had one bigger than that. But I got to see it before the, I got to see it with them. In this auditorium, their theater of the design forum in their house, with just just the three of us watching the movie, which I thought was kind of like oh, fun. kind of yeah. It, it, it was. And I liked the movie too. So uh, so, uh, <laughs> so you had, but you you don't you know, think this is kind of a historic moment. Oh. And there were there were other things that happened that same trip when we were going into the town. We drove in, and when you drive across the bridge where Lake Arrowhead is, and it was right at dusk. And looking back over the lake, the sky was this turquoise color, and you could see the evening star, which is Venus, and you could see it out there with the crescent moon. And that's what usually happens certain sometimes a year regularly. And when we were going across that, and and he was on the passenger side, and I was driving. And when I looked that way, I could see that behind his face. And he said, oh, I've got the CD I want you to listen to for the for our next movie. And his daughter had written the music, and had sunk it, and he put it in my car. Oh, my God. And seeing that crescent moon and seeing the Venus out there, whenever I see that, it always brings, those are memories that you, whenever I see that, it just makes you think of that always. It's like that always reoccurs, that, that you know, the sky happens. Oh, yeah. Here's a take on this. I like how you phrase the historic moment. And your work, to me, appears to be a historic moment that's like, never-ending optimism mm. it doesn't go away so and you described it but i don't know if you've ever had your work described the, the way I, i'm seeing i'm hearing mm. it from you saying it it's, it's this historic never-ending optimism that the people as i said uh, earlier in our sh- program that they carry with them forever wherever they go not just in the home the home mm. is just kind of like the uh you're touching base again mm-hmm but they carry that wherever they go in mm-hmm. the world, whatever circumstances in the life, they still carry that. So it's living. They're mm-hmm. very connected to the soul and the essence of that home. Well, yeah. 
I, I can't believe how perceptive you are. I don't know if it's perception. I just to hear. I mean, you, just meeting you and you come up with this. I'm, I'm just, I'm really kind of blown away. <laughs> okay, but that's that's what I'm seeing. What your work is, whether it's you know, homes and you do the uh, was it Las Palmas? Is it Las Palmas? Las, uh, Palmas. Las, Las Lomas. Las Lomas. Okay, mm -hmm. Las Lomas. That whole mm -hmm. town. You can imagine the whole town would feel that. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. have five, fifty five hundred inhabitants. I love that word. People or inhabitants. Units. There'd be more than that, about 10,000 people. Ten, oh, geez. Okay. So they would all collectively mm -hmm. ascend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. And there were things in there that are, you wouldn't see in the plan unless you read it. There was one. And it, actually, the inspiration one of them was Yardley Square, but it doesn't look anything like it. And But it was inspiration for me because it's a little child when we, when, you know, all Americans go to San Francisco on their, on their summer vacation. <laughs> and I was just enamored. Oh, my God, it's beautiful weather and it's like beautiful city. Yeah. And, you know, when you come to Texas, 110 degrees. And, <laughs> and I've always... But instead of San Francisco Bay, you're looking over San Fernando Valley. Okay, I know it's not the same, but it's still beautiful. Okay, yeah. And there's a there's a pass on the southern mountains, which is Santa Monica Mountains on the south side, and there's a pass in there that through that pass you could from that side you could see City Hall. You know, the iconic city hall that was in Perry Mason. Yeah, okay. And you can see that by still city hall. You could see that. So what I did is I took this triumphal arch, which is the top of what I would call the part that inspired me from Ghirardelli Square, and then I put a street that went straight into that triumphal arch behind it. So when you when you cut that street, and it was an arch, that, and you come through there, and then you go down the hill into what looked like Ghirardelli, it didn't look like Ghirardelli, but that was an inspiration. But through that arch back here, center line on that was the city hall 20 miles away. So, center line. Center lined on purpose. So it tied it back to the city. Do you think that happens anymore with architecture? It's important that it happens. Yes. What if it, what if it was they can't even get the they can't even get the building center lined on the street. Oh, ah, you see, there's that center line that everything's the, the connection with everything. It's, it's well, that, even though that project wasn't Bozarre, they're Bozarre principles that you go by. Even though, and you can filter that through almost any style, even modern, you can fill it through modern, like center lining and balance and and materials and and the style that was nobody would call it a. Bozarre or neoclassical. There are some neoclassical elements and parts of it, but it had to do with the with the philosophy of Bozarre. And that's that's what I was talking about. It's not just neoclassical, though people recognize Bozarre as neoclassical generally. Yeah. Can you get into a little bit of that? Describe a, a bit of it. Um, Which is really about architectural education yeah. that doesn't exist now. Yeah, your observation, your take, you, you know, what, what you're seeing. Well, I think the older part of Stanford campus is a Beaux-Arts campus, and yeah. and uh, it was done by Richardson, but Frederick Rollman did the land, landscaping, which I'm, I'm very much in admiration of both those architects. When you're in the older part of the campus, you can see how things line up through the arches, and it, and it pulls your eye through to the next place where you know you're going at someplace special instead of something being like halfway offline or you just see the wing of it, or they put a bush in front of it, or something stupid. <laughs> and then, I don't, that's just one element. Others okay. are materials, these materials. Yeah, are, how about materials? Right, Should... the materials here are very indigenous of this area, which distinguishes it from other major universities around the world. I mean, there's a certain look to Harvard, a certain look to Oxford, a certain look to Cambridge, a certain look to... To UCLA, there's a certain look to University of Texas where I went, the old part. There's a certain look, look to Stanford. They're all distinguishable, and that's important. And they, they're suited where they are. I could describe some materials that indigently makes the difference, but, but a lot of it's materials. It's the scale. It's proportions. It's you know, how you arrange the buildings that make them indigenous to that area. How the materials, how much do they play in the actual soul of a building? 
It varies from project to project. But it, it does matter. They do matter. It's, it, from, it varies. It does matter, but it varies differently from project to project. How so? Like, do you give you give a contrast? Well, I can go back to the one in Westchester County. I'm doing another house across from that 145-acre estate, which is actually my house, at the one across the street. Your house is across the street? That's a whole other story, too. Okay. It'll be a house I'll have in New York. And then uh, it's the other myth... To me, there's there more there's more than one myth to Westchester County. Actually, one of them is the uh, white clapboard buildings, which looks very New England. New England look like it was right beginning of New England. In fact, part of Westchester County used way back when used to be part of Connecticut. Connecticut definitely has a different feeling than Westchester County does. And then, even though they butt each other, and not only. 10 minutes from Connecticut, from Greenwich, Connecticut, but I'm in New York State. But another one is using the native material there, which is that granite. And and, uh, and you'd see that granite lining the streets, you know, little mm-hmm. three, four foot tall, I mean, two or three foot tall walls along the street, and they're just rubble rock. But in the whole house, I have that. It might be spiritually similar to the one I did for Glen Keane up in, up in Arrowhead, but but different material altogether. I kind of joke with Charlotte, this picture house I'm doing, I've mishmashed all the rejects from all my clients and past. I thought were good ideas. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I mis- even the name of the house is a reject. So I've even named my house one of the reject names that nobody liked the name. So I'm just naming my own house now. <laughs> and so uh, I thought it was a wonderful name. <laughs> yeah. And, then, uh, and it, so it's a little bit of mishmash, but I think it'll tie together. You'll see yeah. one of these days, I'm sure. Yeah. On the names, when you name a project in your mind or literally you, you name it. Oh, I'm not good at that. I wonder, do the families... Also name it? Oh, they if it's named, usually the family does it. I don't do it. Okay. So they say when they refer to the house, they don't just say, oh, let's go home. Or if we're away, we're going to the such and such a house. Do, I mean, like they have a, a name for it. It's not maybe even the official name. Uh, I don't think they, they refer, we're going to what's rapper name. I don't think they do. Like it's a person. But, but, the, na- <laughs> but the name of the house. Can you share it? Say what it is. if you. Well, that particular one in LA, uh, for least, I think it's Nikon. I think it's, I think it's Nikon. What's that? That means flower of the, what? Oh, it's, it's, I, I call it Fleur-de-Lis because I, I think it's such a silly name. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but, uh, but it's supposed to be fleur de with a Y. I'm not going to call it that. I'm from Texas. What do you want? <laughs> Keep going. And then, uh, so, but I think that when, you, when it's named, people know exactly what you're talking about. Instead of it's at, you know, 350 North Carrollwood Drive. Okay, yeah. They won't know where that is. Okay. But, but that, that house, that house had publicity around the world. There's over 350 articles around the world from podcasts to blurb to magazines to, it was in Japan and South Korea and France and England and Texas. It was Can you every, top that house if you want to? Oh yeah, I'm doing it now. Oh. I see when I did that house, I knew it probably close to the last house in Delhi because it scares off everybody. Yeah. How, how does it scare them? Well, they, I think they think I'm just unattainable somehow or another. <laughs> or I'm too expensive, or I know and so and so, or something. But I don't get an interview to tell them that no, that's not. I can that house was probably cheaper than what you did. You know, I mean, it looks expensive. Now, I'm not saying it's cheap, yeah. but it's cheaper than what they did. Now, so that's just amazing. I'm Scottish by heritage. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. am- that's that's amazing. So much of the design that you see that's not captivating or interesting or even uh, palatable can be improved if they just did it. Did what? Did anything. I mean, you had a, just good design, just really paid attention to the community and not just went, okay, we need a building this size, this height. Oh, yeah. this, uh, it's all money driven. How can, and it's, this is a long discussion, so we'll just touch on it if you can. How can that shift? 
Uh, the way I've shifted it. Okay. And I've not been 100% successful at it, but... There you go again, being uh, gracious. Oh, not 100% successful. But, it is um, successful. But I know with a developer, it's money-driven. And if I can produce something that makes them money, then they'll do it. That's all it is. Then they like the accolades that they get from it. It looks good and all that kind of stuff. But it's really money-driven. Everybody on those developers, it's always money-driven. Because that's what the business is. That's how they make money. So all I have to do is make, and that's why I have to learn how to make these things look expensive without spending a lot of money. A lot of it is I produce my own hardware. I produce my own paneling. I produce my own fireplaces. I produce my own artwork. Instead of going out and buying it, I produce it for about one-tenth the cost. And you think, and I'm competing, and when they look at it, well, they'd rather have mine. It looks more expensive than the thing that costs 20 times more. 20 times? 10 times more. 20 times more. Oh, my. So he- some, of, some, some, of, some might be twice as much, but hardware? And hardware, not that it's cheap, but, but you could do what I would do for $2,000. If you bought it at Ricard, it'd be $20,000. Get you not? Same thing. Are, are these- and mine is completely custom for the project itself. Ricard, you're buying it off the shelf. So, is there so some, your neighbor might have the same stuff. Yes. Actually, most neighbors have the same stuff. Yeah, they might well find out in my projects. So. <laughs> so that's obviously by design. Yes. But those are historic markers, too. Uh, you you yeah. ought to be able to identify the house even down to the littlest things like doorknobs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, well, but when you're tapping into that, that's how you're able to understand this, This have this sort of, this wisdom. There was a piece uh, I've seen in your book that had, the, it's in Los Angeles, and you say, look at the angels. Oh, the lantern. Yeah, you were speaking of those lanterns. Yes. I couldn't, I needed cast bronze lanterns for this okay. picture project. And you, you could find them if they were like decrepit or they didn't look right or they were just the wrong spirit. They didn't match the project. So we thought, we're just going to design them. And um, so you designed. And we designed them in bindles that go around it. We did the body of an angel and then where it arced out, those are the wings. And the wings would touch each other all the way around, around the crown of it. So... There were angels that went around. The angels, Los Angeles. And so oh, it was yeah. very Los Angeles-centric. And I thought, those are things that you need, those subtleties. When, and I remember, I think maybe this was through Charlotte. I can remember if this was through Charlotte. We had the Tulsa Garden Club come out. And the house is still under construction, but close to the end of construction. And that particular house. And we had, um, we had carvings on the house. And each of the carvings, they all looked identical. But when you looked at them, you could see they were not identical. So I'll do my hand. And each of those were different. And they represented what was happening in that room. Like the dining room, you'd have dining room stuff. Library, you'd have books. Do you need to go? Stop. That's amazing. You know, you need to go because my <laughs> mouth is a gas. No, one of the gals said, oh, because oh, the house is so big, they couldn't discern what the dining room was, I suppose. So, well, what if they don't use this dining room? I said, well, I guess historically, you know what the room was supposed to be, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're tapped into that. I know there's more on that. That's where you had the horses carving everything because they had the two, the two Olympic horses they'd bought that went to the Olympics. They were perfectly, they were in the Olympics. And so we carved that. And those were emblems through there, through through statues and pieces on the house. And yeah, so it represents what the family. It's not just stuff. It's not just detail. Yeah, it's not just googly gawk up there. You know, just face it up. And if you really look at it, there are not many lines that don't have a meaning on it. If you really look at it, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lines, but there's no lines that don't have a meaning. Oh, and on that meaning, I value discovery much more than creativity. Mm-hmm. What's your thought on it? I mean, there's obviously there's no right or wrong answer, but I really value discovery. I don't think I'm create. I don't have a creative. 
Oh, you mean when, when, it, when it's revealed to you what's happening? Yeah. You know, that maybe it's because I'm, I don't consider myself creative. Oh, well, I like doing that, but I can't do it on my own projects. I know my projects, I know them too intimately, so I never, I don't get the visceral reaction to them that other people do when I'm doing the project. I think, oh, I'm glad they like because I know what caused the problem. I know what caused it. I know what the backyard looks big because we did this forced perspective because the backyard is really too little. So we forced it where it made it look longer. Oh, people actually think oh, it's longer. Subtlety. Are you kidding me? Because <laughs> I never have lands. I made it look longer. And it had to do scale play, the way the landscape shaped. But you did not perceive, you perceived it was rectilinear, but it wasn't. It made it, made it look longer. And when you get out there, to the end of it, you look back at the house, it looked closer by reverse. But that's all right, because you never were out there. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, discover your creativity. Do you, do you, but, but when I go back yeah. years later, I would have a reaction. Because it, it, I would not remember everything that was in there. And discovery is important. Okay. Yeah, because I know there's so much play and recognition now for creativity and how important it is and let people be more creative. And again, as I said, maybe it's because I, I don't feel I'm creative. So it's all about discovery. Oh. That's why. Yeah, yeah I think that's important. Okay. It is. And so each... Project- and I want people to be interested in discovering it because it's interesting. That's why I was talking about the old part of Stanford campus. You're interested in going around the corner because it's intriguing. That's part of discovery. Uh-huh. You want to see what's around the corner because it's intriguing. You get around that side, you don't want to do that necessarily. That could have been addressed, though, could it not? Yes. To keep that intrigue. Yes. It's very important. It's not any more costly to keep that intrigue. Yes. Uh-huh. Oxford's over a thousand years old. Those buildings should be there a thousand years if Stanford's going to be as old as Oxford is now. Yeah. Well, there's some, obviously, some buildings that. And they're all still there. And they're still relevant, using that word again. They're relevant buildings. But they respond to the heritage, the culture, the plays, the materials, everything. It responds to it, and they become part of the legacy. And part of the legacy is also who lived in them. And so if most architecture today was designed with what you just said, then it would be sustainable. And I think one can argue that the most sustainable architecture Mm -hmm. is Cambridge and Oxford that have been there a thousand years because it hasn't been torn down and those materials have not been had to be recycled. So I think this is um, a, a really huge point. And I think that we need to, among ourselves, I'm just interjecting as your audience, the first one that's ever heard this podcast. And I really want to, I hope Rick can come back and we have a dialogue that's just about how to interject both our architecture principles back into architectural education. Yeah, we can touch on that even now before we go into a new show. I hope you come back sometime. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, love yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about Teach for America, okay. which is a national core of outstanding recent college graduates and professionals who commit to teaching for two years in urban and rural public schools in lower income areas nationwide. If you're a college senior interested in being a part of this core, or if you'd like to help support the program, visit teachforamerica.org. That's all one word, teachforamerica.org. Org. We're talking today with Rick Robertson, the third <laughs> architect. I got to throw that third. In. Actually, it's Richardson Robertson. I, I love that. The third architect and principal of Robertson Partners in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> For more information, you're welcome to visit RobertsonPartners.net. RobertsonPartners.net. Again, go back to the historic moment. You said that and touch on it. You're in essence uh, creating that, but you're you're dreaming it, you're visioning it before it occur. It happens. Mm-hmm. So you see, do you almost like see every everything mm-hmm. with color and contrast? Even the parts I didn't do. Are you kidding? Even the parts I did not do. How 
how does that occur? And how if 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 you ever trying to explain it, or if maybe someone asked you, or maybe they didn't. And maybe I'm reaching too much. I don't know. It doesn't happen on every project, but I think it's just a gift given to me. I don't mean like a talent. I mean it's just here's the vision. You've got it. Go for it. Yeah. So if you're a poet or a musician, you just I see. There's I've heard I've heard there's similar traits when I've talked to people about this. Really. I usually don't talk about this, but now I realize it's going to be broadcast everywhere. But okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a professional. You can really get ideas out of people. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, go back to the book again. I know our audience mm -hmm. is unable to, to mm -hmm. see your book. The cover. How did you choose the cover of the Nouveau Arts? The Future of Classics. Well, this is a, a ceiling in, in a house I did. You can see here's the railing and the, it's rotunda. And I wanted something that was just more graphic rather because I did want to say I did only houses or only buildings and this could be in a building, this could be in a house. I wanted something that didn't say it was houses. That's why I did that. Okay. It was really just so it might be the most generic of my work. So it could be a building, it could be yeah. a house. It happens okay. to be a house. Are there any favorite projects of yours? Oh. If you're at liberty to share? Uh, yeah, I like them all for different reasons. Okay. They they satisfied. It's sort of like, what do you like more, spaghetti or steak? <laughs> okay. It, which actually, uh, what comes to mind even just asking this question? Of projects my favorite? Yes. The ones I'm working on now. I love it. And why? You know, I've forgotten this. In the beginning, when I was younger, I would test out ideas on clients, see what they would look like. So I'd have those ideas for bigger projects like, like hotel or, you know, town or something like that. And the success of a lot of projects is in the detailing. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're doing an iron railing, water text, you'll just take a piece of iron. It's all the same gauge all the way across, which makes it like a thud. Okay. I don't care much detail, but it comes like a thud. There's no bounce or spirit to it. You have to have some that are narrower, some are wider, some are skinnier, some that stretch, and then there's a buoyancy to it. And that's just one detail. And I would work out windows and things like that, how big the mullions seem to be, what the hardware would look like. And once you get all these details worked out, so you're working on the big developers who are only uh -huh. for money, I can produce these things at a cost that I know I can produce them. Next, I know I, not me personally, but I know subcontractors can do it, and, and I've already done it with the cost, and I've worked out the details, so I can work on the bigger picture of it because the details I'll do are worked out that I've worked out on my clients. So, and I've worked out different ideas on different clients, and I tell them you're my guinea pig. And they're like, oh, my guinea pig. <laughs> Some respond differently. They say, "Well, you don't have a choice. You're going to be anyway." Oh. So, <laughs> and then and I never, I never had anything that I felt. Failed, and I don't think they did either, to tell you the truth. And I think they kind of like being part of the experiment after the experiment. Okay. And, and seeing how it affected other projects beyond theirs. And another thing that I think is also important is um, that your projects are copied. And you can tell... Actually, so you, you respect that. Oh, I love it. Okay. That means you're having an imp impact on the, on the architecture community, which is important. And the client would be upset. Some of the clients would be upset about it. And I could tell at what stage of construction the house was copied because either certain things were still missing or, or something like that. You know, yeah. Things. Oh, okay. So they can say, oh, well, that, that, why did they have that and I didn't? Or yeah, or whatever. Because yeah. you could tell what the stage of construction they actually copied the house. Uh, and so uh, uh, and it's happened to a lot. I, I, I love it that they copy them. And some of those people that copy them, they'd come to me and say, oh, we copied that. And I knew they had. You yeah. Know. But you know, I could tell it, but they admitted to it. Here's a strange, uh, a strange question. <clears throat> if they copied what you've done, why didn't they seek you out? I think they're afraid of me. Really? It's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. 
What's funny is you like in Dallas, people would say, they oh, you did a house. They type that they're from Dallas. Oh, I did a house in Dallas. And they say, oh, our favorite house is that house. Oh, I did that house. Well, our other favorite house is that house too. That's my house. I did that house too. <laughs> oh, my, I did that house too. No, they but, did not. They didn't, but they went and hired somebody else. But I did all their favorite houses. <laughs> oh, wow. That happens in LA too. Their favorite houses. They'll say, I like that and that and that and that. But some, I find that sad, like at parties or, you know, okay. some of they, when they meet people. And they how speak. could you address, how do you, or how have you addressed that when you actually do meet someone who said, this is what I like, and, and but well, I wouldn't have approached you because I would have thought, you, know, oh, you couldn't work that, with me or the, you want to work with me. If I have that chance, I'm, I'm generally land a job. Not always, but I'm generally land a job. If I have a chance, but usually I don't even So know. you need that chance. You need the I, I never okay. even know that the opportunity's there because I'm never approached. Okay. Because I'm, I'm looking at it as an athlete. Athlete, I'm a definite has been, but mm-hmm. as a, you know, using sports as a convenient metaphor is if you see a, an athlete or perform at a certain level, you say, okay, how do I get that on my team? Yes. And and you do whatever you think you can take, whether it's a potential trade, it's you know, watch out whether they become a free agent, whatever it is that they they whenever you can get them or when they become available, you do what it takes to try to get them because you want that level of performance by that specific player or musician. Or whatever. I'm just curious as to why. I don't think, that, trans- I don't think that. that translates to architecture. No, I think that a lot of them are afraid of. My houses look expensive. The houses do. I think all my projects look expensive. Okay. But um, oh, I would have caught you somewhere coming out of church if I saw. You know, I wanted you to yeah. do that. But then maybe that's me. Well, that's why you're like David Cohen, the guy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I want, you you two need to meet each other. That's that sort of luxury performance is like. Why not? I, I would think that. I did a house for my sister and my her then husband. She's been married a few times. I he, love your your interjection <laughs> of the, that humor. So, it's just you're so humane. Oh, uh, humane? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's like it's it's a serious scenario, but you put light on it, and that's okay. another thing. I no. interrupted you, but I have no, to. No, it's good. The, I like it. Uh, it. There's a lot of light in your work. Mm-hmm. Light, you mean like in life? Light, whether it's natural or obviously, look, you even created your own. Uh, oh, you create the light. Uh, no, but the, you create the, the, but the light. The light has to be contrast, the shadow too. Okay. You, have to have, you get the light, you have to have the shadow. You're not going to see the light. Mm. You have to have the dark and the light. I don't know. I'm going the wrong direction with you. No, that's no. another one of those comparison contrasts. No, that's relevant. Oh, so I said it again. But you the, know what? Our contest is going to be how many times we said the word relevant. Spirit of no, a but that, I think relevance is very important. <laughs> yeah, it is. Can I ask a relevant question? Yeah, please <laughs> get us off our track here. I want to know what Rick can do to put design back into real estate development. It has to make money. Well, I understand, it, but it's, it's, still, it's, it's but, really that pragmatic. But the real estate developers are so driven by just making money that they leave out everything that you're oh. espousing on. Yeah, I really sincerely think they don't. It doesn't really matter what it looks like as long as it makes money. Well, that's the point. That's my question. And it's been said to me more than once. How do we put the design I, back I think, in it? And so many times, what I've done is I say, well, if you if I'm part of his team, I want to charge more. So I say, I the house will be worth more money if I do it because there'll be mm-hmm. when you walk in an expensive house. If you have a or the if, you have, an, if you have an emotional reaction, you're more likely to. Write that check emotionally, yeah. which is not good for the client. I mean, for the for the people buying it, but but they're getting their money's worth too. So it's, it's emotion. That's what they're after. When you have that kind of money. That's what they're buying is emotion. 
Not turned on your so, bike. I mean, You're I'm not buying a roof of, over the head. I'm speaking like of affordable housing and real estate sprawl. So we have <laughs> just more strip malls, but we don't have... I mean, it's like design is... Oh, like, no, that's, that's a whole other topic. Affordable housing doesn't really happen in California but you, but you because have of rules a, and regulations. But you, but you have and, your design in Setauket that had affordable housing uh, above... Yeah, yeah, above. Yeah, that's true. See, I think oh, it, a mixed community, yes. Yeah, I think in your mixed mm-hmm. community designs that mm-hmm. you actually have a solution for affordable housing. Yes. And, and so I think that those need to be looked at by real estate developers because really we can't continue on with suburban sprawl or even just stack and pack along the freeways and the rails because if you put people in a seven by seven that's called a prison cell and that's not good for humanity either well it, it, here, I'll, I'll throw in a, a take on that is uh one yes it has to generate revenue some level or maybe a, a it's not going to get built if it doesn't so so, so, that. so that's a factor <clears throat> and then obviously the emotion but again i think you have to put the responsibility or at least take half of the responsibility as saying, well, if those, those type of projects are done, it was because I didn't put myself, say you as an architect, I didn't put myself out to them and provide them that option. You have to enlighten them. And I, I, yeah. and I think that I've been fortunate though the projects, those projects you're talking about didn't get built because of the economy at that time with a great recession. There were clients who were looking to be enlightened, enlightened uh, developers, and they were looking to be enlightened. And, and they sought us a legacy for themselves as well, which is important. Legacy is vital. Rick, it's been a pleasure and an honor. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I hope you come back I would love very, to. very I'd, soon. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, have you again. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Our guest today has been Richardson Robertson, or Rick Robertson, architect and principal of Robertson Partners. Rick has executed a host of projects in diverse historical revival styles. Many projects are luxury and range from private estates to residential building types to master plan towns and urban village centers. The firm's practice creates a sense of place by responding to the site, leveraging specific architectural icons that are timeless in their meaning. The newly built environment becomes a cherished part and a heritage for the community. For more information, feel free to visit robertsonpartners.net. That's robertsonpartners.net. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location in California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Yagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews with an S at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.